have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Nehemiah chapter 4. I love the book of Nehemiah. It is essentially his memoir, his accounting of the rebuilding of the walls at Jerusalem, and it's extremely detailed. We don't really get lost in the details, but in fact, we are greatly helped by the details as we apply every biblical principle to our lives, and it's incredibly relevant. When you begin to move along with God's help to change things in your life for the better, you are going to find, just like every other believer who strives to live a righteous life, that's a Bible word, to please a holy God, that's a Bible thought, you will find opposition. If you keep on persisting, which we are encouraged and mandated to do in Scripture, then someone, our adversary, is going to get very upset with you and in a vicious way attack you at times. I don't say that because I'm trying to incite fear. I'm saying that because the Scripture tells us we're to be sober and we're to be vigilant. And as we've been working our way through the book of Nehemiah, we have seen the schemes of the enemy outlined for us in a very human and story-like way. And this morning, we're digging into chapter 4, and the opposition is going to continue, and it's going to increase in its intensity. In fact, at this point in time, we're even going to see threat of physical force. The enemies that we met in chapter 2 and verse 10 are simply named Sanballat and Tobiah. And then we see it increase to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and the army of Arabia. But I want you to look in verse 7 here, and if you don't have your Bible, the verses will be on the screen. It's important that you know this is God's Word. But it came to pass that when Sanballat, we've heard of him, and Tobiah, we're aware of him, and the Arabians, even them, but look who's been added, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, Then they were very wroth and conspired. And I want you to note these three words. All of them. All of them conspired. All of them conspired together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. It is plain old-fashioned fact that as you begin to do the work that God has for you to do in your life, opposition will arise. And as you persist in trying to please God and change for the better, it will increase in its intensity and at times it can feel like it's coming from all sides and the devil doesn't fight fair. But according to scripture, we're supposed to be prepared for it. We are warned that the devil will fight against us and we are encouraged to realize he is on a search and destroy mission as Peter told us, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to deceive you, to destroy you, to spiritually distract you and ultimately to divide you. As we read through those letters to the New Testament church, Paul exhorted the believers at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And he went on to write, put on the whole armor of God. 
so that you might be able to stand against all the tricks that the devil has. And we should spend our life spiritually equipping ourselves and arming ourselves with every piece of armor that we have according to Ephesians so that having done all, we can stand. And I will tell you that most of us are not prepared for spiritual battle as we should be. And may I say to you, you won't overcome the devil, Lucifer, the prince of hell, the red dragon, the adversary, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, whatever name we might have, you won't overcome him by simply attending church for an hour a week. Or simply saying grace before lunch or dinner or some combination of that throughout the week. It requires a sober approach, a vigilant guard, and preparation by putting on all of the armor. The attack is real, and Nehemiah knows it. I want you to look at verse 9, and I want you to seize on the very first word. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah and all of the builders at Jerusalem are now aware that all of these armies have conspired together to fight against them with the intention of hindering the work of God. It is not hidden from us. It is clearly exposed that their aim is to hinder the work of God. Nevertheless, Nehemiah says, in spite of our knowledge that we are engaged in a ceaseless, in a relentless, in an ever-increasing fight, we kept right on working. But we prayed and we set a watch against them because of them. Those three words are important for us to notice. Because of them. What did he do because of them? Well, he watched and he prayed. Very similar to the verbiage that Jesus used as he spoke to Peter in the garden, is it not? In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, Jesus is praying under great agony in the garden. He is warning Peter because he knows that the devil would love to cause Peter to stumble and fall. And so Jesus says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I would say to you, the most important thing that we can do is pray. Peter's already told us to be sober and to be vigilant, and he speaks that from experience because he understands what it is to fall to the temptation of the devil. But I also note that Nehemiah did not just pray and then sit back and wait for things to happen. He practically implemented some necessary things in order to be victorious in the battle. Yes, he trusted God to keep them safe from attack, but trust in God and preparation go hand in hand. And yet, discouragement still comes. There's something so insidious about spiritual warfare. Because we see it as a frontal attack by the devil. We endure temptation and daily. We go through trials and often. And we endure those seasons and they are grievous to us. And we understand that we are to be prepared for that frontal attack. But what can happen over time is this constant and unrelenting attack that this world and the devil pour upon us can behind the scenes and below the surface begin to infuse us with discouragement. Can take from us our strength. And our heart. And I want you to listen to verse 10. 
Now we know that the Ammonites and the Arabians and the Ashdodites and Sambalad and Tobiah are pressing in. They have plans to attack Jerusalem and they have plans to hinder the work. And in verse 10, we get really bad news for Nehemiah. And Judah, by the way, Judah's one of the good guys, said, speaking to Nehemiah, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, now listen to what the adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them, the Jews in the surrounding area came, they said unto us ten times, from all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Can you hear the exasperation Can you sense the fear? You can visibly see the effect of discouragement setting in on the people. And discouragement, though it may seem like such a slight thing, is deadly. I was reading and a pastor wrote this. I thought it was quite poignant. I wonder how many pastors flame out. Not for lack of gifting or equipping. Not for lack of excellence or love or moral integrity, but simply out of an extended encouragement drought. I wonder the same for Christians. How many people have been deceived into thinking that they're isolated and alone? How many people have been deceived into imagining that spiritual success is impossible to attain and it's reserved for some elite group of people that are actually so weird, I don't even want to be like they are? How many people have been deceived into imagining that no one is on their side? How many people are actually starved for someone to come alongside of them and let them know they're doing a good job and if they could just hear a word of encouragement, what a difference it could make in their life? I read a story recently. I thought it was outstanding. It was by Henry Ford. He said, I first met Mr. Thomas Edison on the 11th of August 1896. That date means so much to me. He said, our first actual meeting was at a dinner at the old Manhattan Beach Hotel, Manhattan Beach, just a few miles from Coney Island. They were discussing inventions as really intelligent people do. I don't know much of that personally. But he said, as the conversation was going on, Alexander Dow, one of Mr. Edison's close friends, pointed across the table at me and said, There's a young fella who has made a gas car. Someone at the table asked me how I made my carriage go. And I started to tell, speaking fairly loudly so that those across the table could hear me, for they all stopped talking to listen. Mr. Edison caught some of it and put his hand to his ear to hear better, for even then he was decidedly deaf. Mr. Edgar offered to change places, putting me right next to Mr. Edison. He began to ask me questions which showed that he had already made a study of the gas engine. He asked me, is it a four-cylinder engine? I nodded, and he nodded in approval. Then he wanted to know if I exploded the gas in the cylinder by electricity and whether I had done it by contact or by spark. I began to explain to him everything that I had been working on. He said, when I had finished, he brought his fist down on the table with a bang and said, young man, that's the thing. You have it. Keep at it. 
Electric cars must be kept too near power stations and the storage battery too heavy. Steam cars won't do either. Your car is self-contained. You have the thing. Keep at it. To which Henry Ford said, that bang on the table was worth worlds to me. No man up to then had given me any encouragement. Can you imagine the difference you could make? And this will sound harsh. If you could get over yourself and encourage someone else. You say, well, the whole reason you're preaching this is so that people will encourage you on the way out. No, and just to prove it, I'll exit out the side door, go to my car and go home very fast after the service speaking to no one. I'm kidding. I'm exhorting each of us. I'm not throwing a hook in the water hoping for some encouragement. I'm exhorting you and I'm exhorting me to find somebody that needs encouragement and make a difference in their life because whether you realize it or not, discouragement is making a great difference in their existence. Spiritually speaking, they're starved and they may flame out if they endure an extended encouragement drought. As I read these verses, it is hard to miss the effects of discouragement in the lives of the people. The warfare was so endless. The attacks were so ceaseless. The enemy ten times over pressing in. There are whispers everywhere. It's coming from all angles. It's increasing in its intensity. And though they're still building, on the inside cracks are beginning to show. And I note this crack first, fatigue. They're tired, man. Isn't that what Judah said? The strength of the burden bearers is decayed. The fact is they're physically worn out. Physically worn out and they're vulnerable because of it. The people were distracted. In other words, they're physically exhausted. And yet in spite of all the work that they had done, Judah said, and there is much rubbish. We've spent so much time. We've taken out this great draw of faith. We have labored. We've stepped away from our world and our jobs to join into this. And no matter what we've done, we look and there is still so much rubbish to deal with. They had begun to focus their attention not on what had been finished, not on the progress that had been made, but on all the stuff that was still in their way. That's all they could see. Discouraged people have that outlook on life. Doesn't matter how much ground you've covered, all you see is there's still more to go. Doesn't matter how much wall you've built, you still see all the trash in the way. Fatigue steps in and they are physically worn out. And verse 10 says something that is so tragic and sad. In the last part, here's their assessment. We are not able to build the wall. That's it, Nehemiah. We tried. We can't do it. No matter how much we do, there's still stuff to be done. And no matter how well we work at it, the enemy is increasing. And no matter how hard I strive to smile back at them across the wall, they still threaten physical violence against me. It's as if the enemy of God's work just never stops and never fights fair. Exactly. And fatigue can lead to defeat. And people who could live good lives and exercise faith and discernment, and good work for God flame out because they're tired, and they're defeated, and they're filled with fear. 
When verses 11 and 12 tell us that even the people in the surrounding area join in the discouragement ten times over, which is just kind of a generic term, which is they would just not stop telling us. The enemy's going to sneak into the city. You won't even know they're here and they're going to kill you. And the work will cease. And then you would spend another day and they would whisper to you again, hey, I don't know if you know this, but the Ashdodites, the Amorites, and the Ammonites, they are going to sneak in here. You won't even know they're here. They're going to dress like you. They're going to look like you. They're going to get in your midst and they are going to wipe you out. They're going to take everything from you. And the people begin to be controlled by fear. And when you navigate life controlled by fear, you will begin to be a spiritual coward. Vince Lombardi, old coach of the Packers, said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The more you hear, you'll never make it. The more you're told, you won't survive. The more that you're reminded the enemy is too numerous, no matter where you turn, they'll be waiting for you over and over and over again. Fear will grip you and begin to control every decision that you make and not faith. And that's devastating, spiritually speaking. If we were to stand there with Nehemiah on the wall and to assess the situation, no doubt the pressing issue would be the armies who were all together conspiring to fight against us and to bring stop to the work. But behind the scenes, another battle is raging and it is very real, but people are tired and they are defeated and they are controlled by fear. And Nehemiah realizes that he can't do a lot to fix them on the outside just yet, but what he can do is speak to those on the inside and in verse 14 he does just that. He says, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers And to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now, Nehemiah is not a statesman. Remember, he was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is not a builder, he is a man under the burden of God, carrying out the work of God. And yet in this verse, I hear him speak like a general. When he says to the men and to the nobles and to the leaders of the people, stop being afraid of the enemy. You have done everything these last several days because of them. And I am telling you to pivot and now do everything you do moving forward because of God. And then realize this, the Lord that you serve is great and he is terrible. And we don't like to think of God as terrible unless you realize that his terror is aimed at your enemies. Think for just a minute, these individuals within the city are tired and they're laboring and they're striving and they're working and they are focused on the strength of their enemy and they realize their enemy is stronger than them. And they realize the enemy is more numerous than them. And they realize the enemy will fight dirtier than they will. And they realize we are not enough. But what Nehemiah says is, I see your enemy, but rather than judging their strength against yours, why don't you judge their strength against God's who is great and terrible and you will find they don't stand a chance. And then he says so plainly, listen, you're not here 
to simply fight for yourself. Fight for everybody else and fight for your wives and your sons and your daughters and your houses. This is bigger than you. You have to lay brick on your portion of the wall because all of us are doing it. And your brethren and your wives and your children and your houses, we need you in the battle because of God. He encourages them to keep on working. I love verse 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God had brought their counsel to naught. That we returned. And remember, I forced you to see those three words about the enemies, right? All of us, all of them together. Listen to the next three words. We returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. All of us, everyone. There isn't one person who shirked duty. All of us, everyone. Listen to what comes next. Now, this could get a little tricky and this can sound a little bible It's great. Verse 16, and it came to pass. From that time forth, that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, the bows, and the haberdjons. Now, that's just a coat of mail. That's putting armor on. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah, they which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one, with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon for the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. I am emphasizing all of us, everyone, 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 because there is this precious awareness. We don't really have the option of one without the other. We need to all be together. Set your mind to it. If you're going to build a wall, you're going to have opposition. If you're going to strive to please God, you're going to encounter the enemy. If you are going to endure faithful to the end, realize that the battle will never relent and you are not intended to fight alone. And you are not allowed to shirk your duty And you are not allowed to not use your gift. And you're not allowed to not do your job. And you're not allowed to not encourage somebody else. All of us, everyone doing their job, building the kingdom prepped for battle. All of us. One of the greatest lies that the enemy likes to use is to tell you that you're all alone. That you're a misfit. That nobody cares. It's not true. The way that the church is designed to work is to build each other up. That's why we are mandated to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As we see the day of the Lord approaching, we exhort each other. We cheer each other on even more. That's why the Bible says, let your speech be always seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace, so that we can build each other up. There is enough in this world to tear us down. There is enough in this world to take courage from us. It doesn't need to happen amongst the family. You see, for your brethren and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your houses, build and battle. And never, spiritually speaking, ever take a break. In verse 19, he said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, and I love this, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. This is a big wall that we're working on. And while you're working on your gate, and you're working on your portion of the wall, we are separated from each other. But, I have a trumpeter standing right next to me. 
And if there's any movement by the enemy, if they come at the city to attack it, he will blast the trumpet, and I say to you, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. What he's saying is this, if you hear the trumpet, drop everything and come running. We'll fight together with the Lord's strength wherever the enemy may attack. In other words, be prepared to link your shield of faith to the soldier next to you. No one fights alone. Can I just say a sentence to you that I think encourages us? God is for you, and you are not alone. And I know in seasons of life, it feels like God is against you, and you are completely isolated. God is for you, and you are not alone. And if the church worked according to the scriptural principles, we would realize that. Link your shield of faith to the soldier next to you. Nobody fights alone. Exhort somebody. Encourage somebody. One of the facets of pastoring as an under-shepherd, that's just a scriptural understanding. I love that he gets to carry the rod and the staff. The rod, you can help, and the staff, you can help, but it also is able to beat off a few wolves. And here's the reality. Sometimes your lack of encouragement to somebody else is damning to them spiritually. And sometimes your self-righteous spirit of condescension is wounding somebody who doesn't know any better. And in a message like this, you're exhorting people to realize God is for us. You're not alone. No one's alone. No one falls behind. You need encouraged. Because it just seems unrelenting. And I believe this with all of my heart. If you think there's no one that's on your side, I say to you, there is a rather ugly middle-aged guy that I happen to know who's in a gray suit and a pink tie who is on your team. And I promise you this, spiritually speaking or otherwise, I'm on your side. I want to exhort you and I want to encourage you to greater spiritual heights. And I understand shortcomings and I understand failings. I want to see you do great things for God. God is for you and you are not alone. I love what Nehemiah 4.21 says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time said I unto the people, Let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem. Don't anybody go outside the walls anymore at night. Everybody stay in here together, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes. And then in his memoir, he feels this is necessary, saving that everyone put them off for washing. He's telling us, we did take baths. All right, it's hot work, it's hard work, we stunk. Nobody took their clothes off, nobody took a break, nobody changed clothes, except, unless you think we stunk the whole time, we did wash our clothes and ourselves. Here's the response from Nehemiah. One, he got on the team with everybody else. Everyone, all of them. Secondarily, what I sense in this is everybody began on a new level to serve each other to a greater degree. In verse 21, we're told they worked until the stars came out. From sunup until dark, they went without changing their clothes. They rallied together and they fought for and with each other together with God. Do you realize the answer 
in a world that is overwhelming us is that we come together and link shields of faith and we fight no one left behind and no one alone. Because there's always someone who will tell us it can't be done. And so I pause on this Sunday morning to say, yes, it can. You can do it. Well, this era will never end. Things will, yes, it will. Well, I just have tried and I'm tired and the kids and the finances and I know you can do it and God will help and you aren't alone and God is for you. But you don't understand right now there are doubts and there are fears and there are questions. I grasp all of that because every one of us are human and I'm saying I know that there are thousands of people and voices telling you it can't be done but I'm standing here with the truth saying yes, it can. God can and you are not alone. Igor Sikorsky was 12 years old when his parents told him that competent authorities had already proved human flight was impossible. Now, he would only go on to build the first helicopter. And in his American plant, he posted this sign. According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. I think Nehemiah probably would have stole that sign and put it all around the construction site at Jerusalem. Stop focusing on what's going on outside the wall and look up. I don't care if you literally see an innumerable host on the horizon. The God that you serve is great and he is terrible. And I want you to understand that the trumpeter is standing right next to me here and we're going to work it so that there is somebody watching all the time and we're all engaged in prayer. But we're not just going to sit back and imagine that everything will work out. We're going to get practical about this. And I want you to realize, I know you're tired, but you can do it. And there is no defeatist. We can't say that it can't be done because it can be done and God will help us do it. And fear can't be in control. Faith has to be what's navigating us through the storms of this life. And I will tell you that if we even see a cloud of dust on the horizon from our enemy, I'm going to tap the trumpeter on his shoulder and he's going to blast. And you drop whatever you're doing and you all come together right here where we are and we all link shields of faith until the storm passes by and then we go back to work. And if there's more dust on the horizon, we'll blast the trumpet again and we'll all come together because no one fights alone. And if the church and individual Christians would apply these scriptural principles, no one within the walls would anymore say it can't be done. But man, we're not encouraging each other like we should. And people flame out. Listen, Satan isn't bothered by half-hearted people. Who are content with the status quo spiritual existence. Living according to the world's values and the world's goals. Satan probably won't trouble you. But you start bringing your family to church. And you start trying to increase Bible knowledge. If you go all out for Christ. Satan which means adversary is going to come after you. You wake up from your spiritual apathy. Shake off your worldly mindset. Commit yourself to obedience to Christ. Spiritual opposition is going to arrive. Satan is not twiddling his thumbs, waiting for his final doom. He is literally on the warpath. He doesn't fight fair, and he never takes a break. But I'm saying to you this morning, you can't be caught napping, you can't be without prayer, and you can't be without your armor. 
And don't listen to the deceiver who tells you that it can't be done because it can. And don't listen to the lies that there's nobody on your side because I'm telling you you're not alone. And don't listen to him when he tells you that God is against you and that he doesn't love you because God is for you. And I say to you, like Mr. Sikorsky said to his plant by the sign and was being preached all around the walls of Jerusalem, just fly anyway. I don't care what they say. Realize that right here in this house, we need you to do your job on the wall. You don't have the ability to shirk your responsibility. Suck it up and build and be on guard and find somebody that you can encourage. You see, they had done everything because of them and Nehemiah says, no, no, pivot and do everything because of God. It is beautiful to realize that if we rise up in courage, you can do it. God will help. You are not alone. We're right here. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.